an ERP implementation failure case study out of the UK, why digital transformation is dead, and using ChatGPT to evaluate and select ERP software. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 123 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach the third stage of digital transformation success. I'm your host today, and with me, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for today's episode. Excited to have you here, too. And I shouldn't say, as always, because you, you had a holiday a little while ago and also an injury, a medical situation. I so did. it's good to have you back after a couple episodes of, of not having you uh, on the show. So welcome back to the show. It's, it's never quite the same when I have to do the solo. So thank you for being here. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's I'm happy to be back and missed all of the the live action. So excited to bring a, a jam packed episode today. Absolutely. And this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people process, technology and strategy sides of change. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So thank you for being here today. Got a great show for you, action-packed, as Kyler said. Uh, we're going to start off the opening segment with some questions from the audience on social media or via social media. We'll pull some of those questions and answer those questions with you. And uh, we also have some hot topics. We'll cover a couple of case studies, a success and a failure we're going to cover. We're going to talk about a digital transformation success story out of Canada and then we're going to talk about an ERP failure case study out of the UK. Um, so we'll get to that in the opening segment here in just a moment. And then later in the show, we are going to have our first guest, uh, Drake Coker, who is the CEO of Nashville Record Pressing. That is a client of Third Stage Consultings, and uh, we're helping him through a digital transformation journey right now as we speak. Uh, he just completed, uh, or their organization just completed an ERP implementation, and now we're moving into the next phases of their transformation. And so we're going to talk with Drake in real time as he's going through this transformation to talk about why digital transformation is dead. Um, and uh, that's a controversial topic, I know, and a controversial uh, thread, but we want to talk about the things that make the tech-focused digital transformations obsolete and why it's all the other stuff that uh, is more important than technology. And digital transformation as we know it is dead, and that's what we're going to talk about here later in the show with him. And then later in the show, Tyler, you had a chance to sit down with, with Greg Menton who is our chief strategy officer here at Third Stage, and you you guys ran a test of a ChatGPT software selection. So you you filmed the uh, the actual sort of in real time this uh, mock software selection process, and so we're going to unpack the the good, the bad, the ugly of how that went for you guys, um, and that's going to be super interesting. Because hey, why not use ChatGPT to select your next uh, ERP system if if uh, you know you, you instead of using Google or um, relying on intuition, why not try ChatGPT? We'll see how that went. And uh, it sounds like you guys had some mixed results, so we'll get to that later in the show. So I guess to start, though, what what are some of these questions you've got for us, Kyler? 
Absolutely. Um, well, if you're new here, I do have what we fondly refer to as Eric's question jar. Um, so you can pop questions or comments on any of his social media platforms or third stage. Also, um, this episode's very interactive. So go ahead and, and pop the questions um, in the chat wherever you're joining from today. And we will get to those in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so let's, the jar's full in my absence here. So we'll have to get through Lots of some. accumulation. Lots I of, know, right? Lots of Rimmy, demand for so questions. Lots of questions brewing. Oh, this, this is a good one. This is a comment that I'd love your reaction to. It's a little spicy, so just, just brace ready. yourself. Um, <laughs> so this is from your TikTok videos about customization versus vanilla software. Um, so software is made how it's made. It's a product. It's your job to sell the product, figure out your job. And of course, your job is not to sell the product. But I think that this is a really interesting perspective from vendors that have to sell the product to a customer, and that's their their overall job. So I wondered if you could give us kind of your reaction to what you would say to that user in response, which I think you should do another TikTok video on this one too, because that's kind of funny. So like a response to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good idea. Um yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny on TikTok. We've talked in this um, podcast before about how TikTok compared to other social media channels is a, is a bit more, uh, it's a tough crowd. It's a tougher crowd, in my opinion. They they aren't as uh, forgiving on anything that they don't agree with and uh, or they make assumptions around what your intentions are. And it's really interesting because one of the most common um, criticisms that I get on TikTok in particular is that, well, you must be you must be selling something and that's why you have this opinion. And it's like, no, I don't sell anything. Uh, I sell my services, which is independent tech agnostic consulting services and my team services, but I'm not trying to sell anyone software for sure. It's the last thing I'm trying to do uh, is to sell, sell software. It's the last thing I'd want to do, uh, quite frankly. Um, but you get that a lot on TikTok where, uh, no, no offense to the uh, many salespeople that I know listen to the show, a lot of software vendors and sales reps listen to the show. I appreciate you. You have a, a key role in this industry. I hope you like what you do, but I would not be good at it and I wouldn't enjoy selling software. Um, that's just me though. But I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting though. And I try not to take it personally in that there, there, there's an assumption because the industry is so wired that way, you know, consultants are selling stuff. Most consultants are selling stuff They're Most of them are somehow affiliated with the software vendor trying to sell a certain type of product. So I get why people assume that I must be trying to sell something because that's what everyone else does. But if you don't know me or you don't know third stage, you're going to make that assumption and it just happens that that's not a correct assumption. So I don't take it personally. I think it's just a reflection of the industry and the flaws in the industry for sure. Absolutely. And if we do have any of our vendor partners or colleagues um, watching, definitely post your response in the comments too, because we'd love to hear what you think as well. Yeah, for sure. I don't know why I stick these together because it's always very hard. <laughs> um, this is um, a question from one of your users on YouTube. How do you deal with the massive amount of data from sensors? Tech is supposed to decrease workload, but now there is so much data to navigate. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I remember seeing that question recently. Um, and it's, you know, I think the key is if, if you don't have the right tool sets, you're going to feel the pain of the volumes of data. But if you've got the right tool sets, you obviously need that technology to be able to absorb and make sense of all that data. So that's the beauty of artificial intelligence and automation and machine learning, robotic process automation, all that stuff. 
um, it, it's providing tool sets and capabilities that allow you to process mass amounts of data in a way that is humanly impossible, um, or at the very least, it would take forever to do. So you have to have the right technological tool sets to do it. But once you have the tools in place that can consolidate that data and help you get insights out of it, whether it's through business intelligence tools or predictive analytics or AI and machine learning tools, whatever tool set it is, um, once you have those tool sets in place, then it's not quite so overwhelming. But the way most organizations are built right now is to manually try to make sense of all this stuff and rely on humans and human intervention to understand and make sense of all this data. And that's obviously a weakness and a flaw, and it's not scalable in the same way that technology can make it. So I think uh, if you've got the right tool set, it won't be as overwhelming would be my response. Good. Yeah. Data governance, something that's really important in that phase zero um, planning. This is a good one. Also from your YouTube channel, this is a little career advice. Um, good one to kind of wrap up our Q&A session with. Um, I went to school for cybersecurity, but no one will hire me without two to five years experience. What would be your suggestion? I think probably the biggest thing you can do if you've got that foundation of, of training, but you don't have the experience yet, is to do anything you can to get some sort of experience, even if it's a, a brief unpaid or low paid internship. Um, I don't know if unpaid internships are still a thing, but uh, if they are, you know, it might be worth investing that time just to... Um, just to get the experience, um, or better yet, if you can do it and get paid, even if it's part-time, even if it's just for a short period, anything that shows that you have some experience um, is going to be huge. Even if it's, say, three months, if you get 90 days of experience in a 90-day internship, that's huge. And that puts you well ahead of most candidates um, that don't have that experience. So I'd, that'd be the biggest thing I'd, I'd do. Um, you know, the other thing that you could do, too, is if you can find ways to demonstrate that you know what you're doing beyond having a degree on paper, um, so, for example, if you could create a, uh, you know, a presentation or a video or a blog or something about cybersecurity or about, you know, a topic of interest to you, and you could use that as an asset that you could use or collateral you could use to get the attention of a, a hiring decision maker, um, that just demonstrates and separates and distinguishes you in a way that most candidates aren't going to do. So that those are a couple ideas. Get, get some limited experience, whatever you can, even if it's an internship, unpaid, part-time, short-term, whatever. And and or, um, you know, create some content or some collateral that should demonstrate that you know this field. You may not be an expert yet, but you, you can at least start to demonstrate that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And connecting with some influencers that we've had on cybersecurity. If you go to our YouTube channel and just search cybersecurity, you can connect with those thought leaders in as well as Eric um, and kind of ask for that career advice. But that's great general advice too for anyone that's looking to kind of break into the workforce from that transition from school to a professional uh, role as well. So yeah, all good stuff here. Um, so I know um, we have some additional questions in the, the jar here that we'll get to next week as well. Um, and then also, if you have questions for Eric, you can go ahead and just pop them in the chat. And I always go through here and either answer them or we pull them for another episode. But I know we're excited to get into some of our hot topics today, too, in those case studies. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into a couple digital transformation case studies. One is a success and one is a failure. Uh, one is a success story out of Canada and one is a failure story out of the UK. Not that the geography really has anything to do with it, but just to give you a sense of where these case studies were, were based, we're trying to look at this topic here globally. So we'll get to that 
those two case studies here in just a moment. And then later in the show, we'll have uh, Drake Coker, the CEO of Nashville Record Pressing, on the show. And he's going to be on with me chatting about why digital transformation is dead and why it never existed in the first place and really challenge us to rethink how we think about digital transformation. And then later uh, in our last segment, we'll have you, Kyler, and Greg Benton from the third stage team doing a little test of ChatGPT to help with the software selection process. And we'll see how that how that turns out for you guys or how it turned out for you guys in your recent uh, your recent experiment that you guys did. So stick around for that. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling from Third Stage Consulting here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And this podcast is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of transformation. So uh, you've got a couple hot topics, a couple case studies for us to unpack here, Kyler. Uh, what, what have you got in store for us? Well, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Let's start with the bad news. You can just get bad that news. Out yeah. <laughs> so um, there recently, there's been a lot of um, PR around uh, a pretty significant uh, Oracle failure. Um, so the case study here is actually um, Birmingham City Council. So just to give you an idea of what that looks like, it is uh, Europe's biggest city council. And what they are looking at is 100 million euros, which is about um, 123 million American dollars, is its expense for its Oracle ERP system failure. Um, and it kind of talks about the council, which is the largest local authority by Europe population, accrues 4.2 billion in revenue um, annually and it's been grappling to replace its SAP for core functions like HR and finance since 2018. So this has been going on for a very long time, um, five years. The project was reviewed in 2019, 2020, and then again in 21 with the total implement implementation cost of the project at um, four $47 million, so right around like $50 million, and it's doubling in cost. Um, so I want to read you kind of a quote from their spokesperson and get your reaction to this. Um, so significant resources will be 
required to arrive at a position where the system can be fully implemented. We estimate the final cost will be in the region of 100 million to 125 million American dollars. So knowing that, they have gotten a lot of flack for replacing SAP and the fact that SAP might not have been perfect, but it shouldn't have been pulled or replaced by um, Oracle ERP Cloud, or as they call it in here, Oracle Fusion. This has been a really high profile case for Oracle. Even um, Larry Ellison, who's their you know CTO, visited the Birmingham City Council and said that it was one of their number one success wins to migrate a very large SAP ERP customer to Oracle Fusion. Um, they also mentioned that they did this for West Sussex County Council, whose migration was also delayed. Uh, so I thought I might share kind of that failure case study with you, share some numbers about how it really impacted overall revenue and obviously taxpayer money as well, um, and see if I could get your reaction uh, around what that actually looks like from just an overall impact scope. Yeah, well, one thing you said to me that really jumped off the page or a couple things. One is the price tag, obviously being over a hundred million um, US dollars in an implementation is, is high uh, for most organizations. That's just not even fathomable. Although I will say we've seen projects failed, uh, projects that have failed that are even bigger. We, I think the biggest one I've seen is 1. 1.2 or 1.3 billion was spent by a really large organization in, in a failure in a lawsuit. And I had to testify in that case. Um, you know, because of a billion dollar plus failure, you can imagine there's a lot of money at stake you know, in legal action. So I have seen bigger failures and bigger price tags than 100 to 125 million, but uh, that's for most organizations a, a huge number. Um, but the other thing that jumped off in addition to the high price tag is the uh, the fact that you said they're going from SAP to Oracle. Is that right? Mm -hmm. they, they, yeah. So they're ripping out SAP going to Oracle. That's yes. a big deal. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that or it can't be done, but anytime you're, it's so there's two two side types of clients we work with. We have the ones that are like mid-sized growing companies that are sort of like growing into newer systems and they they uh, are replacing like an old system that doesn't scale anymore. Then they're replacing it with a bigger, better system that that is still painful, but it sort of makes sense because they're trying to grow up as a company. But when you have a huge government entity or a huge, say, Fortune 500 for-profit company like Coca-Cola or you know any, any big company, a brand name recognized huge company, Anytime they go from like an one platform, like an SAP or an Oracle or Microsoft, and they've invested all these years of competencies in building those companies to support that system, you rip that system out for better or for worse and replace it with something else. That's a really painful process, uh, even more so than if you're trying to go through an upgrade or if you're just trying to replace it, a system you've outgrown. Because you know now you're talking about having to upskill people and retrain and reskill and really transform your entire IT department to support that that new system that you might be deploying. And for a big company, that's just there's just a lot of complexity that goes along with that. So those are a couple of things that jump off the page. But um, I guess I'm I more questions than answers or reactions on this. Do, do you know, have they said like why? Do they have any read on why it got out of hand like this? So um, what they did is they did reach out to Oracle. This um, this is a Microsoft art article, which we should also <laughs> just put out there because they're obviously um, having a heyday with this. But uh, they didn't comment on why it would be, why that was such an issue. Um, 
So, but I will say that there, one thing about this article is there's a quote unquote whistleblower, an insider um, from in the organization that is quoted here. And they, um, they talk about how standard SAP is the same, um, but BB, BCC customized SAP to really get it working well is, is working for the organization, except for some minor annoyances. SAP was a good product that should have never been ditched. Uh, so that's just a, a little piece to your, to your point about um, what that looks like. And we know with any failure, those, there's, um, you know, blame on both sides, uh, but it is a pretty, a pretty significant impact financially, obviously talking about going from those large complex systems and kind of flipping those customers. It doesn't sound like that's something that usually happens. Yeah. And organizations like that have to look at what they have to gain. You know, what are you really going to gain by in a best case scenario, you replace SAP with Oracle. Let's just say for hypothetical purposes that Oracle in this case for this particular client is say 20% better than SAP. You look at all their requirements and Oracle can handle it, like say 20% better. You have to look at that and say, is that really worth the risk? I mean, maybe you, you'd be better off just sticking with the system you have, upgrading it, getting more value out of it, tweaking it, fine tuning it, spending less money, but getting more value out of it. And yes, maybe it's not the best system for you, but at least you've mitigated the risk and the cost that goes along with ripping out a system and putting in a new one. And too many organizations get sucked into the sales message that you know, Oracle's better, or SAP's better, or Microsoft's so much better. These systems aren't that much different, really. I mean, there's there's nuances and there's, you know, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. But at the end of the day, you're not going to succeed or fail because you did or didn't choose one product over another. It's going to be because you you implemented it well or you didn't. Um, so anyway, there's a, some things to think about, too. Yeah, definitely. A very interesting high-profile case case study. Whenever you have Larry Ellison actually involved in mentioning it, um, it's obviously something that was very, very high profile. So if you need any help, city council, we know people that um, are very, uh, are huge experts in that remediation of uh, failure implementation. So shameless plug there. Um, and we do have a UK office. So you just let us know if you need any help. Absolutely. And Larry Ellison, I know you're listening because I'm sure you listen to this podcast uh, religiously, but it, you're more than welcome to join us on the show to chat about yeah. that topic or other topics of, of your choice. So, Absolutely. Well, let's go to the good news. Um, so recently, um, Scotiabank is a banking entity in Canada, and it was awarded the 2023 Digital Transformation Award um, in the large private sector category. And these awards are given by IT World Canada. And what their digital transformation went through was focused on a customer-centric business approach, which I know you've had a few guests on um, previous episodes to talk about the importance of that, especially when leveraging new technology. So they developed an AI-powered customer chat box. And I just want to kind of share some of their their findings um, when they actually implemented this into their organization. So it was a multi-year digital transformation and the chatbot has successfully managed over 2 million messages from 300,000 unique users since the launch in 2022. And what they continue to do is learn from the data and responses and the chatbot currently is responding with over 70% accuracy, providing fee speed and efficiency for customers, um, and an overall improved experiment. And what I thought was really interesting is they um, 
they have a quote in here from their global SVP that says, with nearly 40% of customer questions via chat be being answered by Scotiabank's chat box and hundreds of thousands of calls diverted from the contact center, the bank has increased capacity for our teams to provide trusted advice to customers while providing them with more options to interact with us. So that's a, some key metrics over there about accuracy and then just how they created some efficiencies, not only internally, but also prioritizing that customer-centric approach for their, their user base and overall banking community. So interesting case study there. What's your reaction to this more happy news? <laughs> well, it makes you wonder. I mean, it's, it's such a stark contrast, these two case studies that you, you mentioned. It makes you wonder, though, if maybe, and this is a high, total speculation hypothesis, but based on what you said, makes you wonder if maybe the first example, the failure of the UK government entity, if they were too focused on themselves and sort of back office stuff and technology and not focused enough on the end game, like what's that, what are we really trying to get out of this project? Whereas with the the entity in, in Canada, it sounds like, you know, the success story, it sounds like they were focused more on the customer experience and how do we make things easier for our customers and not that that's going to solve all your problems, but sometimes when you have a clearer vision of what you want the project to be and what the benefits are and how it's going to transform your business, a lot of times those projects just tend to go better because you're all focused on the same thing and you all have the same end state in mind. So uh, that's the biggest question I have. I don't know if I'm right or not, but um, that is something that a lot of organizations struggle with is to have that clarity of whether it's customer experience or uh, increasing employee uh, morale or of course, increasing profitability, increasing revenue, you know, you've got to have like clear metrics aligned to whatever digital transformation you're going through so that you can stay on track with that, with that project. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's well said in, in summary. And I turn to our audience to have some feedback around a customer centric approach. Is that absolutely pivotal that you prioritize your customers or are internal operations more important? And you can say it depends. As long as you hashtag, it depends because um, we're making shirts that say that. So, um, uh, but yeah, definitely interested to hear the community's feedback on those two kind of polarizing examples. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you do say it depends, um, we, we get royalty rights to it or something because we say it all the time. So uh, we have to monetize this podcast somehow, right? Uh, so good. Well, that, those are really interesting case studies. And it's always fun to, to chat about real life examples like that. So thank you for, for sharing those. I'd be curious to hear the audience's feedback as well. And uh, speaking of real life case studies, we're going to continue the case study uh, thread here by bringing on one of our clients from Third Stage Consulting after a break. We're going to bring on Jake, Drake Coker, who is the CEO of a company called Nashville Record Pressing, and they make vinyl records, which is uh, super cool because I love music and I love vintage stuff like vinyl, even though, as we're going to talk about here, uh, vinyl is making a comeback and vinyl is actually a pretty strong industry right now, despite uh, despite all the newer technologies to uh, disrupt the music business. Uh, but we're going to have Drake on to talk about why digital transformation is dead and how we should be rethinking digital transformations as a result. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. 
Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And of course, this is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation uh, every week. So thanks for being here. And uh, we are excited for our next guest. Our next guest is Drake Coker, who is the CEO of a company called Nashville Record Pressing. It is a client of Third Stage Consultings. It's a company we've been working with for some time now and continue to work with them through their transformation. And we wanted to have Drake on the show uh, to talk about why digital transformation is dead and how we should be rethinking digital transformation. So with all that being said, uh, Drake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And this this is going to be an exciting conversation. You and I have had some some interesting conversations leading up to this one about this particular topic. And I'm excited to unpack it and see what the audience thinks too, and get some of the, the input from the audience here. But before I do that, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about, about you yourself and also about Nashville Record Pressing, what you guys do. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I've been at entrepreneurialism for a long time. So I've been involved in um, a number of companies um, early on. Um, and then uh, through sort of the duration of their life um, and also have had a stint uh, working for um, some very large companies as a consultant. So have seen a lot of things um, and, uh, you know, but I've always really been drawn to, um, to doing things that are physical, doing things that actually exist in the world. Right. Um, and uh, I had had a, vinyl record related startup in Los Angeles um, for about seven years. Um, and in the midst of that, got to know a number of the players in the industry. Um, the biggest of which uh, is a, a company based in the Czech Republic called GZ Media, which already has a couple of pressing plants here in North America, Precision Record Pressing in Toronto, as well as Memphis Record Pressing um, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and uh, about two and a half years ago, they had a need to um to build a new plant in nashville um they called me up and asked me if i would move to nashville and build and run the new business for them and i said yes uh and so here we are interesting so um so you you've got that entrepreneurial background you've obviously have the experience in the background in vinyl record uh, production but tell us about nashville record pressing and what you guys do and sort of what what's the state of the not the state of the market, but what's your role in the market? Let's start there. Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. So uh, with, with, with our parent, the Czech Republic GZ and our sister companies here in North America, Precision um, uh, and, and Memphis, we, um, we, we, there's quite a bit of independence between the businesses, um, but, we, but, we, but we run a, you know, a, a rather tightly organized and, and orchestrated group. Um, the group's largest customers um, are the major record labels uh, and other 
very large producers of vinyl records. Um, and our customers over the last couple of years had been asking for more and more capacity. Um, vinyl record capacity globally had been rather constrained. Um, there hadn't been much investment um, in the business, particularly in North America since you know, the early 70s. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to do to bring new vinyl record pressing capacity online because it's based around uh, these very particular pieces of equipment um, called vinyl record presses, which are very difficult to get. No one was producing them. Um, and our parent uh, very, um, you know, very intelligently started producing their own about 10 years ago. And so we sort of had a, a big jump in this upswing that we've seen in the market. Um, and so it was clear that uh, our customers not only needed more capacity, but they wanted that capacity located in Nashville. They specifically asked us to build a pressing plant here. The original concept, I think the original idea was, um, was, was very cool, but also fairly small, fairly humble. Um, and then over the course of uh, sort of digging into it a little bit, um, the need um, and, and, and the aspirations grew rather quickly. So I got involved in May of 2021, uh, uh, moved to Nashville. Um, I was the first here at Boots in the Ground on August 1. Um, and at that point, um, it took us the rest of the year to sort of find and lease a building, get some building permits submitted and get going. Um, we had building permits in hand by January 1, excuse me, January 15 to 2022. Um, we had contractors in place um, on March 1 of 2022. And that's sort of when the, the project started in haste. At that point, we had a 100,000 square foot building, which was totally empty, just concrete and columns. Um, and uh, it's been um, a whirlwind since. So by June 22nd um, of 2022, we were making our first records. By October 17th, we made our 1 millionth record. Um, December of last year, we made a million records alone and, um, uh, you know, and it basically grown from just a few people uh, working with me to um, a team of over 200, running five days a week, 24 hours a day, producing 60,000 records. Um, in a 24-hour time period, um, and then this year, in the process of doubling that capacity again, um, while bringing um, an ERP system online, uh, which is obviously how we got involved, um, and executing a number of, of additional, rather complex, multifaceted projects simultaneously to get the company where we wanted to be in a very short period of time. Interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. So total startup mode to scale-up mode to um, sort of just ramping up production. That's a, that's gotta be an exciting journey in a, in a pretty short period of time. Um, you know, hearing you describe these volumes that you're already doing in a short period of time makes, makes some wonder, I think there might be some listening right now that wonder, well, how could you possibly be making that many records aren't, you know, with all the digital media alternatives in the marketplace with Apple music and Spotify and Amazon music, why in the world would I buy records? Um, maybe tell us a little bit about the state of the industry because it's making somewhat of a comeback here. It's 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 cool again to um, to buy vinyl and to have vinyl. But what is it about vinyl that's you know getting getting this resurgence? And um, you know what does the future hold, or what do you think the future market looks like for the vinyl industry? Yeah, so our view on this is a bit different than others. Um, I mean, clearly we've we're, we're seeing a tremendous resurgence in vinyl. Um, we're about 
10 years into it now, actually, something like that, maybe a little bit more. Um, but it's picked up a, a lot of momentum in the last four or five years. People are sort of calling it the vinyl revival. But I think there's just just a short bit of historical perspective is helpful. Um, I think everyone has been rather surprised that, that, that vinyl records have, have sort of come back, right? Um, and are asking the exact questions that you're asking. But the truth is, this is not the first time that vinyl's come back. It's the third time. Um, it was challenged both by AM radio early um, in the 20th century um, and then by stereo magnetic tape um, in the middle of the 20th century. And then again by CDs and the progression to, um, uh, you know, peer sharing and then iTunes and sort of digital downloads and then streaming, right? Um, so the truth is, is that historically speaking, vinyl is the only format, um, excuse me, is the only format to um, survive the technologies that have succeeded it. Um, and, it's, and it's done it three times over a hundred years. So we can, for another, you know, uh, for another live stream uh, around another topic, we can talk about why that is, but people just really like vinyl. Um, and what's happening now is, is that a new generation is sort of rediscovering it. Um, and it's funny, it's like they're rediscovering it for the first time or rediscovering something that's, that's you know, really existed um, for a long time. So I think from our standpoint, when we went digital, I think everyone just assumed that, that, that digital music was going to be just a different delivery vehicle. It was just going to be a different distribution channel for the same product. But what I think in fact has happened is, is that it bifurcated the market. And, you know, digital is amazing. It's inexpensive, it's totally portable. You get everything. Um, it becomes a very social experience if you're involved. It's easy to listen to what your friends are listening to or what you're, you know, seeing online or in a stream or something like that. But it's also very passive, right? Mm -hmm. It's, in, in, in fact, uh, what we see is, is that digital music consumption is a lot like consuming an IG feed you know, or LinkedIn feed or, or a Facebook feed, right? You just kind of fall through it and evolve over time. Um, and that's great for a lot of people. And digital is terrific. I mean, it's, it's doing things through the industry that, you know, were never before possible, um, mm. which, is, which, is, which is rather exciting. Um, and there is a not insignificant number of people who, um, who crave a much more active relationship with their music. Um, and those people tend to want to be able to own their music. Um, they love the physical experience, you know, and that's really where vinyl shines. Um, right. And I, you know, and I think the proof is in, you know, what we've seen in sales and, you know, and the official sales numbers are significantly understated. Um, but right now we're at a place where across the group, you know, we're producing well over 300,000 records a day and on our way to a half a million. Um, so it doesn't take much math to sort of figure out you know what that looks like globally um we there are lots of other players out there we're, we're certainly not the only game in town we are a significant player um but there is um, an awful lot of people that are um buying and collecting vinyl records yeah yeah i i think it's it's a fascinating uh, industry partly i mean i love music as you and i've discussed and i you know so much so that i named this company third stage consulting after rock and roll and after a rock and roll album um, but I yeah. love vinyl. I, I think there's something to be said for the the physical experiences you described, just the look and feel of the vinyl, the liner notes, the the sound quality is so much better. And, uh, you know, digital might be 
an easier, it might be more convenient, but it doesn't sound as good. It's, it's more compressed. It just doesn't have the depth and the warmth that a, that a vinyl uh, recording or a, a vinyl listening experience has. So I, I can see why um, people are, are gaining a renewed appreciation for vinyl. It's really interesting to hear your take on how the industry has, has survived uh, multiple you know, evolutions and, and competitive threats dating back to AM radio. That's fascinating. I'd never really thought of it from that perspective. Um, so I have to ask you a question then being that you're an entrepreneur, you're in this space, you, you're the CEO of a company that produces vinyl records. What are some of your favorite vinyl, some of your favorite records or your favorite music in general, whether it's on vinyl or not? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people that are in the business say that they have rather eclectic tastes and I, um, I actually do. So there's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, um, a lot of the music that's coming out of the UK, um, mm. uh, particularly, um, in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we would call rock and roll that I'm really into. I was in Los Angeles for 20 years. I got very connected to the indie music scene there. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, I was in college when, um, when, when grunge was unfolding. So, you, you know, um, it just kind of, I, I, I had, I had parents that, um, uh, and, a, and a grandfather that listened to a lot of jazz and classical, but it kind of, you know, I mean, it, it changes day to day what I'm listening to. Um, but what's cool, I think, is is the relationship that you know that that I that I have with the music that I love. And it's funny that's where kind of the records are the coolest because um, oftentimes I listen to a record and it reminds me of the person that turned me on to the record or occasions where I used to listen to that record or how many times I've moved that record from one house to another or one city to another or where it came from. Um, and that's to me, I think the piece that's that, that keeps me plugged in. Like it's a, there's a, it's got a lot of hooks in me, you know? And, um, and there isn't as much of that in my experience, that's harder and harder to find these days. So it's, um, right. it's, it's a pretty cool thing. That's very cool. And it's, it's cool to be able to lead a company that uh, fits your passion too and, and your love of music and, and the entrepreneurial spirit um, that you have as well. We're here chatting with Drake Coker about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink digital transformations. We're going to continue the conversation when we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Thank you for being here today. And we are in the midst of a conversation here with Drake Coker from Nashville Record Pressing 
talking about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink our digital transformations. Let's jump back into the conversation. Well, very cool. So, um, so let's talk about this topic here that, that, uh, I think this is your idea, actually, this, the, the words, uh, <laughs> digital transformation is dead, I think is, is your idea. And I love it because it's, it's controversial. It's, it, I think it makes you wonder, well, what, what in the world do you mean digital transformation is dead? And that's what we're going to get into. But I also like it too, because it's sort of a, a riff on the rock and roll, you know, rock is dead, uh, quote from the doors of the who, you know, insert rock band that quoted that phrase here. Um, you know, long live rock, you know, rock is dead, long live rock, you know, that whole controversy that's been going on for decades sort of fits in here at digital transformation is, is digital transformation dead? I'd be curious to hear from the audience. Do you think digital transformation is dead? Do you think uh, the way we've been doing it is sustainable? Is it the right way? Is there something else that's uh, on the, on the horizon? I'd love to hear kind of the audience feedback here. And before I uh, ask you maybe to describe what you think uh, around this whole thread of, of digital transformation being dead, Drake, uh, I'll, I want to turn to the audience real quick and just uh, recognize where some of the people are joining from today. We have people joining from all over the world, as I mentioned earlier, um, Los Angeles, your old stomping ground, Drake. We have someone from Los Angeles, Denver, Colorado, Pakistan, India, uh, Denver, Colorado, again, UK, Vietnam, Naperville, Illinois, Ethiopia, India, Egypt, Doha, Dubai, Dallas, Texas, a uh, lot of uh, global global participation here today. So thank you everyone for joining and being part of this uh, digital transformation community um, here today. And if you have any questions for Drake as we get going here, I'd love to hear your, your comments. And I'd also love to hear comments about is digital transformation dead? And for that matter, is rock dead? You know, is, is vinyl dead? I don't know. There's, there's a lot of questions we have here, a lot of unanswered questions. Um, but maybe just to get started on this whole thread then, Drake, um, your vision for Nashville record pressing is to be more than a record pressing company. What Tell us a little bit about the longer term vision of the company and, and what really what is it you're trying to build? And you and I have talked a bit about this in, you know, our client related work, our clients in consulting relationship. But tell us a little bit about the vision of the company and, and what is what is it you're trying to do and what is it you're trying to build? Yeah, so let me see if I can do this rather briefly. Um, frankly, you know, the goal for for. Uh, NRP is to be the best record pressing plant in the world um, and uh, perhaps the best record pressing plant that's ever existed in the world, you know, um, in, inside of this group that we're very fortunate to be part of and in service of, of, of the group's success. Um, part of this is about the, this an unusual set of sort of causes and conditions that existed around how um, this company has been created and how we've been able to grow it. Um, and then part of it's about sort of what's going on um, uh, specifically around vinyl and in the world. And then some of it's also about sort of what's going on in the world in terms of technology um, mm -hmm. and even digital transformation. And so putting those things very quickly together, um, it, it, you know, we are absolutely a startup, um, but we are a startup that has been unbelievably blessed from the beginning with capital support, um, uh, we're, we're in a situation where we have literally years of runway in front of us where every record that we produce is already pre-sold and wrapped up inside of um, capacity agreements that we have across the group with our larger customer. Uh, we have all kinds of operational and technological support. Um, we have access to, to vinyl record presses, which is a, 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 you know, a, a very rare thing. Um, and so we've had this confluence of events where Yes, we're we're starting this thing from scratch, and obviously, uh, everything that we do has to be built. But we get 
literally stand on the shoulders um, of our group and sort of everything that's come before. So we're, it's, it's, it's like we're getting, we're getting catapulted forward. And it's, it's really, I think, our obligation to take tremendous advantage of those resources and momentum and to try to maintain our vision and our balance and make the most out of it to, 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 to leapfrog as far into the future as we can, right? That's sort of what's going on with us. What's going on inside of, 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 of music and vinyl is, is that there's a tremendous amount of love for it. Um, it's, this, this revival has been demand-driven. It's been pulled by the marketplace, right? Um, and the industry really got out of the business of making records. And making records is hard. It's complicated. It's hard. Um, it's, 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 it has quite a bit more engineering and technicality in it than I think most people recognize and a lot of art, right? And so being able to, it, it's, so it's difficult to bring records to market. And it's difficult particularly to bring more and more titles to market. So a second piece of this vision is how we can not only be really just good at the basic functions, but how we as a company and as a group can provide more and more services to our customers to help get more and more titles into the marketplace um, and provide you know, access to the people that love and, 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 and buy and collect vinyl to a much broader swath of the catalog. And in so doing, hopefully continue to reignite and, and refuel their love for vinyl um, and then you know, continue to drive the market forward as, as a whole. Um, mm. But the third piece of this is just we're, we're living in an incredibly transformational time in, in my view. And, and I think that it's, it, it challenges me personally and professionally and, and it challenges an awful lot of people that I have a tremendous amount of respect for to, to, to really accurately gauge how much change is is in the works right now broadly and i think that if you can look at squarely in the face uh, it, 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 there's an opportunity and, and probably in, in my situation a responsibility to ask some big questions which is not only how far can we go but more importantly in what direction do we want to go and what's the what's what are we actually trying to create right and how can right. how can technology in this change be a tool that helps bring more intentionality um, and, and, and I would say human-centered vision to what we're building uh, rather than just trying to like hang on for dear life and see where we end up, right? right. Um, and so you put those three things together. Um, some of that's very tactical. Some of it's very strategic. Some of it's very sort of uh, like long-term. Um, but, uh, but, it's, but, it's but it's a combination of those uh, 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 and a confluence of, of those particular conditions and situations that we're using to to shape and drive the vision around what we're doing with um, with NRP. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it's exciting to to think about, and it's a pretty innovative way to think about you know building a company, and especially in a in an industry that's as fast changing as uh, vinyl. Because in some ways, vinyl, the technology or, or the product hasn't changed a ton, at least the way I see it, I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like the product itself has changed that much over, over decades, but the industry has gone through a tremendous amount of change. As you mentioned, the beginning with AM radio and, um, you know, peer sharing and, um, CDs and digital delivery of, of music, just a lot of disruption to the industry in general. Um, how do you see digital transformation? I mean, use that term pretty loosely. Um, but the term digital transformation, how do you see that, concept enabling the vision that you just described in those three different uh, pillars of your, of your strategy. 
Well, I, I think if for, for us, what we're trying to do is stay very involved with what's going on day to day and inside our business. And I said, we've just launched a new ERP system. It was something that we've wanted from the beginning. Our parent has been running an ERP system for about 18 years. They have highly customized it and augmented to it over time, right? Um, and so what we're getting is a, you know, is, is, is a rather well-vetted um, implementation that's taken quite a bit of work to retool for, for what we're doing here in Nashville, which is, which, you know, in terms of the nuts and bolts of the business is fairly different than what's happening um, with our parent in the Czech Republic, right? And so we're in this, we're in this, we're, we're discovering the system, we're learning what it does, we're learning what it doesn't do, we're learning what we like and what we don't like. And this is a very, you know, this is a very like in the weeds, moment to moment, day to day activity, right? But it would be easy for us to just sort of stay on that path, um, become more and more connected to that ERP system, um, you know, upgrade it to, to, um, uh, to kind of the current version that is out there and figure out how to pull in all these changes that have been made and just kind of ride that train, just sort of, mm -hmm. just sort of ride that train without much thought. Right. And so the right. question that we've been asking is like, wait a second, wait a second, where's this train actually leading? Right. And, and, and how does this train compare to the other trains, planes, and automobiles that are available to us, particularly in a time when technology is changing in such a fundamental way, right? And how do we extract as much advantage and as much benefit and as much value as we can out of, of what we've got, right? But, but how, do we, how do we create a, um, a real vision about where we want to go, which I think is about, at least really practically, is, is creating a bit of distance, from, from, from what we are managing day to day. And really, you know, this is kind of a terrible analogy, but, you know, trying to work from a clean sheet of paper as much as possible and say, okay, what do we want this company to be? What do we want this company to be in 10 years and 20 years and 50 years? What role do we want it to play? What role do we want it to play to our customers? What role do we want it to play um, to our community? What role do we want it to play um, uh, to vinyl? right? Um, uh, and, and, and music. And, and really, what role do we want it to play in the lives of the people that are, you know, um, are investing um, really their lives and helping to build it, right? And for me, I think what's been amazing about this experience is, is sort of is, is how these things have come together to create the opportunities that we're facing. We're very, very fortunate as a company. Um, uh, these things just don't always come together and you know we are never going to be a company that employs a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand people we are not going to be a company that you know is trading on four continents um uh there's 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 going to be some limits so i think that there's this sense like okay how do we grow this thing and how do we grow it into something that's really a powerful source of support um for all the people that we're connected to Right. And what does that really look like? And then working backwards from there. And I, I, I mean this even in specific ways, like saying, OK, in five years from now, we expect to be seeing X amount of revenue run for, through this company. You know, and we would like to run this company with a leadership team of this size. 
And we would like the roles of the leadership team in terms of um, responsibility and content, um, but also balance to look like this. How do we then put the technology underneath it to be able to, 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 to actually bring that reality to life, right? So that we get something that's designed around people um, that, are, that are taking care of it every day rather than the other way around, right? And right. I think that that's oftentimes where um, things break down. When, where in my experience, it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. Right. Yeah, and it, it's almost like from hearing you describe it here today and in past conversations I've had with you, you know, technology is just an enabler for for sort of this bigger vision and this bigger strategy that you're trying to enable, you know, with, with uh, and you talk a lot, hearing you talk now and in the past uh, about this topic, you talk a lot about people and the people side of things and innovation and the culture you're trying to create. It's a lot of, you know, you do, I don't hear you getting into a lot of techno speak as we talk about digital transformation, which is why... I find this conversation fascinating. And I think that's why you're so successfully focused on the right things um, in, in, in the world of digital transformation and in particular, the ERP implementation that, that we just helped you with and that you just went through as a company and uh, some of the other digital initiatives you might do in the future as well. We're here chatting with Drake Coker about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink digital transformations. We're going to continue the conversation when we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Thank you for being here today. And we are in the midst of a conversation here with Drake Coker from Nashville Record Pressing, talking about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink our digital transformations. Let's jump back into the conversation. There's a, a couple couple interesting comments here from the, the audience I want to get to. Um, before uh before we get too far into this um so one comment here is from kyler on linkedin who says uh, digital transformation is not dead it's just often misunderstood and i think that might be kind of where you're going you didn't use those exact words but the way you describe digital transformation is different than a technology initiative and too often i think organizations think of digital transformation as a technology initiative. And the word digital is a little misleading because it's really not about the digital piece of it. It's about the transformation, which is the people, people and process side of things as well. Um, there's an interesting comment related to the music industry and vinyl and delivery mechanisms for music. We, we certainly haven't seen a resurgence of cassette tapes. Um, is that true? I mean, I, I don't think cassette tapes have really 
had the same appeal as uh as vinyl there's something about vinyl that stands at the test of time um in in the different iterations it's been through as you described yeah cassettes have made a little comeback but it's a very cottagey thing it's very it's very local it's, uh, kind of alive in a few music scenes across the country but you know i and i don't i mean obviously i say this tongue-in-cheek but like you know if you compare vinyl to CDs and, you know, you sort of say what's going on. I mean, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens, but, you know, CDs are office supplies and vinyl is art, you know, and cassette tapes right. are something that we used to put in answering machines. It's not, it, it, they're, right. you know, it's, it's just the form matters because our relationship to the product matters. And by the way, I think that that's, that's something that in terms of like, you know, digital transportation, not being dead, just misunderstood. I, I I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that the reality is, is that in my experience, it's, it's how I relate to things and how the teams I lead relate to things and how as an organization that we relate to things that gives those things either um, uh, appropriate or inappropriate power in our day-to-day -day life trying to run the business, right? So digital transformation is really what we make it, but I think it takes... It, 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 it's, it's not something that can live in its own, but we, 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 we approach it a particular way. We build teams to try to bring it to life. Those teams have a point of view. They have a perspective. Um, they certainly have um, bias because of what they've done in the past, you know, in terms of how to drive this thing. And, and then oftentimes if you're not intentional about what, where you're going and how you want to relate to something, then you, then you get an unintentional relationship to it, which oftentimes leads to unintentional consequences. I think it's amazing that we're living in a time where sort of the, there's never been more opportunity or possibility in terms of what technology can do for us or more risk. And most people, most of the time, are really disconnected from sort of that truth and sort of how broad that spectrum is and making choices about how to sort of um, uh, you know, think about and, and, and interrelate with what's going on, you know? I mean, it's highly likely I've, I've, I have two young girls um, and, but, you know, they're, it's not that far in the future when they're going to be thinking about driving and the way that we're going now, it is, I think that there's certainly a better than 0% chance that there'll be no need for them to have driver's license because, hmm. you know, autonomous vehicles will be available to, hail on any smartphone in you know, very cost-effective and reasonable ways, right? That's right. a little nuts to think that this is, you know, not 20 or 30 or 40 years away. We can argue about how far away it is, but it's not 20 years away, right? Right. Yeah, we're seeing the, the early signs of it with, with Tesla and other pioneers in the space for sure. Um, some other comments here. Uh, this is from... Uh, cyber veteran on YouTube says digital transformation is going through a cooling off period. So it's not dead. It's cooling off. Um, I think that's a interesting uh, take on it. And then uh, this is from Will on LinkedIn. Will says digital transformation is not dead. Most are not experts on the topic and struggle to form a plan, then execute it properly. It's like AI or artificial intelligence. Many are intrigued and wish to use it, but few how few know how to get, get it started. So I think that's uh, an interesting point. A lot of there's a lot of interest in digital transformation. A, a lot of organizations want to do it, but there's sort of a lack of expertise and experience of having been through, um, you know, a, a modern transformation like that. 
Um, and then here's a, uh, I never thought we'd, we'd do a digital transformation live stream and get into social distortion, but uh, it's, happening, <laughs> it's happening as we speak here. Uh, Clay on LinkedIn says, Mike Ness talks about going back to wire guitar versus wireless. And Mike Ness is the guitar player for a band called Social Distortion. Speaking of, uh, they're, they're from the UK, aren't they? Are they a UK band? Um, um, but uh, I just assume because they're punk, they must be. But um, anyway, they, uh, he talks about going back to wire guitar versus wireless in the pursuit, pursuit of tone specifically saying why take the tone and run it through an iPhone then to a speaker. Um, so I think there's a lot of purist musical purists out there. They're sort of supporting this vinyl movement and the, the purity of the sound of vinyl. And so I think that's uh, it makes for, for an interesting future for sure. Um, but I wanted to maybe get to, to a question here of, you know, how do you, if digital transformation is dead, um, which there's some controversy over whether or not it is, I mean, some are saying it's not dead, it's misunderstood. It's just cooling off. Um, we don't know how to do it right. You know, there's a lot of different reasons or justifications for why it may not be dead, but there's something wrong with digital transformation as we know it. So if it's dead, then how, how is this initiative that you're going through at NRP, how is that different from traditional digital transformation? So how would you contrast what you guys are doing with what other organizations might tend to do with their digital initiatives? Yeah, so as I'd mentioned before, our situation is 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 rather unique, right? And there's obviously some some comments that have been made, I think, very appropriately that you know each organization and each situation is unique, and I, I don't think that that's to be underestimated. We uh, are as this company is growing. Um, you know, it's certainly been a lot to manage, right? The pace of things. Um, but we also get a, we also got to start with a bank, blank slate, right? So we're not in a situation where, you know, we are 20 or 40 or 80 years old um, and have, you know, facilities spread out across eight states and, 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 you know, and are invested in an ERP system um, or other um, systems um, where we're, we're trying to either uh, upgrade and, and, and reinvent and shift what we have, um, uh, you know, or, 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 or bring something new online, right? And so, and so I'm, I'm clear that, that we work rather hard. I certainly work rather hard to try to keep us very intentionally minded, very, very focused on what we're doing. Um, but uh, we're also unbelievably fortunate that we're in the situation where we're able to do that, right? Um, because clearly tearing things completely out um, uh, that have become sort of a, you know, a, a digital backbone of, of an organization, even if they're largely unaffected, is even if they can be, rather ineffective in lots of ways is a very, very difficult process, right? I'm not underestimating that. But like, right. you know, I think about Los Angeles, where I just moved from is a good example. So most people don't know that um, early in the last century, Los Angeles had the most sophisticated subway system in the world. Um, it was called the red car. Um, and there was both above ground and sub a subterranean rail. Um, and, and basically the guy who is largely responsible for having Los Angeles end up being laid out the way it was laid out was, um, had, had, 
had, had been in railroad for a long time and moved to Los Angeles um, uh, when there were, you know, only 100,000 people between Tijuana and, and, uh, and Valencia um, and predicted that, you know, in 10 years, there'd be a million people living there and everybody thought he was crazy. And he brought up all these very small little railways that were in these little towns and then figured out how to connect them. And, and those connections and, and, and rail arterials became the arterials around which Los Angeles really grew up. So um, they actually tore the red car um, out of Los Angeles. It doesn't exist anymore. And when they did, they fundamentally changed, fundamentally changed the way the city functions. And it's largely shaped the way that, um, you know, a lot of the things that you hear about Los Angeles now in terms of traffic and being multimodal and multicentric and kind of just the way the city works, right? Like it, it changed the city forever. Um, but it, there, was, there was one intention to begin with, right? Which is we're gonna build the city around the red car. Um, and there was the strength and vision to persist in that path long enough that it actually largely started to unfold. And then there was a shift in direction. It really, uh, it, it, it had a tremendous impact on what was left, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think the trick about this is, 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 is how to be really clear about what matters the most in the future today. And that's very hard. It's a very, very hard thing to do. But, but, you know, looking at some of the comments, I, I don't think it's a question about taking those of you who have spent, you know, a long time becoming experts at this, right, digital transformation, and really having like this tremendous toolbox uh, and, and sort of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I think the question is, how do we, how do we deploy this experience and these lessons and these toolboxes in a way to create something that is you know, for a particular organization or a particular situation, really transformational. And I, I think it, re it requires, I guess what I'm advocating for, a combination of thinking. You know, it's, it's not something that we can do either unintentionally. And, and in my experience, it's also not something that we can, we can do without having a number of different perspectives at the table um, that are all really working together in a very, I would say, human way or human focused way to talk about what's possible and what's not. And then, and then plot the path forward instead of just coming in and evaluating the system and saying, okay, these are all the things that we don't like and here's how we can improve it. And this is what we're gonna do to, you know, these are the, the tools and the upgrades and the changes we're gonna apply to make the system better. And then everybody's gonna be happy because we're gonna have the same system that it's gonna function better. Right, right. Yeah, it's rethinking how you, how you define digital transformation, what your priorities are and how you put all these pieces together. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the challenge. And you talk about the, you know, the city planning for Los Angeles and tying together all these railways. It's sort of like that, you know, you've got to figure out how do you, how do you pull this all together in a way that makes sense and is cohesive and fits your strategy and enables that kind of growth that you're trying to accomplish as an organization. Yeah. I mean, and I think that leaders have got to step up and say, okay, what do we want and, and make some decisions and own those decisions for better or worse, right? Um, but to, pre to create some clarity around how this might, this might work. I mean, I'm, I'm inside of sort of understanding sort of what we may or may not be going forward. One of the things that's, that, you know, is clear to me and, and that we're committed to is not only um, being just as good as we can possibly be, being the best in the world, but also 
you know, we want to be the favorites of our customers and we want to be an incredibly contributory citizen to Nashville um, and take that really seriously, you know, and for how many ever people we have that are on the team, whether it's 200 or 250 or 600 or whatever, right? You know, we want these jobs to be the best jobs that people have ever had, like seriously, like that they don't tell me that, but that they tell, you know, strangers that, right? Um, and, and that we think about how to build a company in a way to make that possible, right? But that's not necessarily the thought process that always happens. We're here chatting with Drake Coker about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink digital transformations. We're going to continue the conversation when we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Thank you for being here today. And we are in the midst of a conversation here with Drake Coker from Nashville Record Pressing, talking about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink our digital transformations. Let's jump back into the conversation. Well, and speaking of your team, you know, one thing I wanted to get to, because I think this is, uh, you know, a relevant thing for a lot of a lot of people listening, but you, you have a pretty young and diverse team. I mean, from what, from what I've seen, and, and I think part of it's just the entrepreneurial spirit of the company, you're in the music industry. It's a cool company. So I, I could see why you have a younger and perhaps a more diverse team than, than an average organization, but how does that impact how you approach this overall transformation and the direction you're going at NRP or does it, does it affect it? Oh, absolutely. It's critical. I mean, We've worked really hard to build a team that we think is um, not just really capable, but a team that has a chance to be um, with the company for quite a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in my experience, it's, it's rare to be able to have a large number of people that are working for a company have such a healthy relationship with the company that they're there for a long period of time, right? Um, and I think that when that does happen, particularly if, if, if you do some things culturally um, and if you do some things in, in terms of, of the way that you structure a leadership team and, and, and you encourage them and coach them to sort of manage their portfolio responsibilities, that you can end up with a, a highly dynamic, very capable um, uh, group that also can have a lot of fun, like legitimately have a lot of fun at work, right? So there's yeah, we've been very intentional about this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And what about, what about culture? When you, when you think about culture within the the company and the way it is now and 
what you think it needs to be in the future to navigate the, the future of this industry and where you're at in the industry. How does culture affect your transformation and how are you viewing culture uh, at the moment? Culture is everything. I mean, it, it literally is everything. Um, I know a lot of people like to talk about culture. Uh, there's probably a lot of people that are sitting in, in, in my chair who, uh, you know, have read a bunch of books or whatever. I'm not depreciating that. It's, it's a great way to get started. But I, I, th I, th I think it's, it's, it's hard. It's, 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 a, it's, it's very difficult to be intentional about culture and then do the things that are necessary to try to foster it, right? To try to create causes and conditions where it can grow. Because culture is not something that can be intentionally constructed. It can be designed, but then it grows. It's a living thing, right? And you, you know, you you never get exactly what you think you're going to get, um, or what you thought you were going to get. That's that's been my experience. So I think the reality for us is is that, um, you know, this is a this is a, I don't know, this is this is a place where I feel like language and words really don't serve us very well, but. There's a, there's a story about, you know, what is culture, right? And I say culture is everything. And I think that a lot of people think about culture as being sort of the window dressing of life, right? Or the window dressing of an experience. And I would argue that it goes much deeper than that. And so there's this story about these two little fish that were swimming out to sea for the first time. Um, and there's a much older fish that's, that's coming back in from the ocean into the river and he swims up to them. It's morning time and he looks at the two fish and, 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 and says, hey boys, how you doing? Um, uh, and, uh, they say, good morning. And, and he smiles. He says, how's the water? And he goes swimming on past and the two little fish keep going out to sea. And one of them looks at the other one a few minutes later and says, what's water. Right. And, um, that's culture that it literally is everything. Um, so, um, I think figuring out how to talk about culture, how to, how to, how to be able to, 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 to plan and be intentional about culture as well as all these other things that we're talking about and then act and then, then actually be able to practically make decisions and changes and, um, and structures that, that help support the development of culture that seems very positive um, and full of potential. Like it's a, it's, it's never been more important and, it, and it's probably never been more difficult. Right. And is that, so as you think about, the transformation you guys are going through as a, as a company and as you evolve as a company, um, I assume then culture is something that's at top of mind for you. You said it's everything. So are you yeah. sort of deliberately defining what it is you want it to be and trying to mold it into something different than what it is now, or, or maybe, maybe help us understand how are you how are you addressing that or what are you doing with the culture of the company? Well, really clearly. So to begin with, there's been a clear vision about, you know, what kind of a, a culture we wanted Right. And there's, there's some, there's some words that are, that are really clear. You know, we want to be highly professional, which means capable, right? It doesn't mean dressing in a particular way. Like it, it, it means professional the way that you would think of an athlete as being professional, you know, somebody that can sink a shot from anywhere on the court against unbelievable odds and no time and against incredible pressure. Like it's about capability, right? Um, there's an attitude too that if we stick together, we can do anything, right? Like it's no big deal. We've got this. Um, there's an attitude that it's really important to be cool. Um, and, and that, that incorporates a lot of things. Like it means being kind, being compassionate, it means taking yourself seriously, taking the people that you're working with seriously, 
um, taking the company seriously, being responsible, being involved, right? So there, we, we've tried to encapsulate it and that's how we started. But the truth is, is that we've been growing so quickly, the day-to-day experience that most people have um, is rather turbulent. You know, you and I have talked about this because back to the third stage analogy and the rocket analogy, you know, uh, you know, a rocket that's, 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 you know, attempting to get into orbit, you know, experiences a tremendous amount of turbulence as it's breaking out of the atmosphere, right? Right. So, so do airborne objects that are crashing. Um, and when you're inside of them, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Like, you know, are we, are we really getting ready to, to break out of the atmosphere? Or are we about ready to crash into the ground? So there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of discomfort. And even for people that are really good in difficult situations, it's a lot to bear over extended periods of time. So I think you necessarily have to go through a period or we're going through a period where there's just a lot of maintenance that's going on. Just trying to take care of people, trying to listen, trying to be really responsive to situations in proactive ways, trying to do what we can to support people, right? And, and get far enough along through this trajectory that we can actually um, end up re, then, then refocusing, regrouping and getting back to where we started and saying, okay, now it's here where we are. This is the culture that we've wanted. How do we how do we start proactively working on this together in a little bit less of a, a charged environment? But I think there has to be some accommodation made for what happens, you know, during those periods where you push really hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's super super interesting. Um, well, I'm trying to uh, cherry pick a couple uh, questions here. Um, you know, one question that's maybe more of a business model question. This is from Ryan on LinkedIn. Um, Ryan asked the question of. Uh, He's, he's Ryan is a musician. So just to give you the backdrop here, I'm going to, I'm going to shorten his question or just cherry pick part of his question here, but uh, he's a musician and he asked the question of, do you see a day where vinyl industry is capable of single or small batch print on demand solutions for artists that aren't submitting orders that are on the scale of a large record label or record company? Um, yes. Okay. Tell us about that. I think this is an interesting part of your business model in, in a way you're sort of disrupting, potentially disrupting the space as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that the more we can reduce the size of the minimum run, the more titles we can make available, which is super important if you're a musician. Um, you know, we know that there's, it's possible for us inside of what we do now that we could do runs that were significantly smaller than sort of what are the minimums required by most companies and most plants. And we're actively working. And there are others in the world that are actively on making sort of uh, a, an, an ultra small run, five or ten, or um, or even on demand records possible. There's lots of challenges, and, and not only are there technical challenges, but there's 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 business model challenges as well. Um, but there's but there's a lot of effort and focus going into it. And then you know on the flip side, there's there's things that I think that can be done to take runs that are maybe in the 100 to 300 range and make them. Um, far more available to artists um, that don't have, you know, label or management support uh, so that the stuff can get out in the world as well. It's, it's, and, and, and by the way, this is a key focus that we have here and inside the group, which is how we can make more and more music available on vinyl to more people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, well, so I guess for, for organizations that are about to begin a digital transformation, um, what, what starting advice do you have? I mean, what do you, what advice would you give to someone who's just thinking about getting started on an ERP implementation or going out and finding new technology or new ways of doing business? 
how do how do you get started? I mean, what is what are some of the things that you've seen work for your journey, and what are some of the mistakes you've made? I mean, what would you leave us with to get started? Yeah, I mean, number one, we tried to make it as simple as possible, right? I mean, the promise of ERP is it's this vast system that can do all these things. We tried to just really focus on what were the basics that we needed and that we were going to bring over from our parents' implementation. Um, and I and I and I want to be clear: we literally, from a tech standpoint we talked about this in terms of MVP, right? Like I challenged the team to define what the MVP was and anything that didn't contribute to that MVP was off the table for phase one. Like we just, we were just gonna look at it, right? Um, and that's great because it helps us focus on knowing that what we get was gonna work. It helped make the implementation a little bit easier because we didn't have so much to do. And it's plenty hard as it is, even with what we've got. And it also didn't paint us into a corner because it gave us lots of room to grow if we felt that there were needs to grow without being tied into all this stuff that we didn't really understand, right? So keep it simple um, or as, as, as simple and limited as possible. The second thing I would say is, is um, uh, we were really focused on moving very quickly. Um, you know, and you hear about this um, all the time, right? Um, but also not being too attached. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to invest the time and resources that are necessary. You want to get it right. Um, you don't want to make mistakes, right? But we found that the more we could hold things lightly and just keep gather, j just keep covering whatever ground we could every day to get closer and closer and, and get running um, was really helpful. And the third thing that I would say that we did, which has been invaluable, is, is that um, we really brought in people to specifically help facilitate our implementation, even though we didn't really know what we were getting with it, with it, with it, with it, with a sort of a dual mission, which is number one, help us get this thing up and running, but number two, help us go through a discovery process so that we can learn what we're actually getting. And the notion was then to plant the seeds for what comes next. Right. Mm. So as, 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 as small and as simple as possible, brought online as quickly as possible, where we're, we're sort of connected to it as loosely as possible. And at the same time, we're trying to develop as much information as we, as we can about what we've got so that we can quickly make decisions about where we want to go next. Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's sound advice. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it sort of tying this all together, it, it, it goes well beyond just going out and finding a technology and figuring out a way to deploy it. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it as, as you've talked about here today. So I think that's, uh, that's maybe the, the way to leave it is let's not assume the digital transformation is dead, but let's not assume that the way we've been doing it all along is, is the right way or, or effective way either. I think we've got to sort of rethink it and look more holistically at what, what digital transformation is and what it means to us individually as organizations and as teams and, and make sure we're looking at all those different angles. Yeah, and I think that it, challenging, having you all challenge your clients to answer the question, what do they want? Right. So what do you want? You know, yeah, what do you, what do you want to be when not, you grow up and how is this going to support it? Not what can I do for you or what I think you should have or, you know, reasoning by analogy, what we've seen other clients do, but what do you want and what's going to best serve your organization and your people and particularly your people? That yeah. seems like a good starting point. All right. Thank you, Drake. Appreciate you being on the show. A great conversation, very interesting and very innovative way of thinking about digital transformation. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and insights and the way you've chosen to rethink digital transformation there at Nashville Record Pressing. We're going to 
unpack that conversation a bit more. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling, and we just had Drake Coker on the show chatting about why digital transformation is dead and how we need to rethink digital transformations to be more successful in the future and to be more effective in our transformations. What were some of your takeaways and insights from that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, well, it was a great conversation. I, I learned a lot, not only from the business perspective, but the you know record manufacturing and distribution perspective as well. And that's one of my favorite parts about working here at Third Stage is you get a lens into how businesses work in all different industries. And it's always interesting to just, you know, kind of have that that cross-pollination between the technology, but the business unit is always so beautifully unique. And that's the one thing, you know, that I think Nashville Re Record Pressing brings to the, the table is they are unique and a, a very um, art-focused and creativity-focused client, um, which a lot of times in a in having a technical conversation um, doesn't always match. But in this one, because Drake's so focused on a healthy culture, things like a technology um, transition or a new system embrace that change as opposed to resist it. So I thought that was, you know, very well put and important that a lot of basics uh, or basic projects miss because they go straight to the technical piece of it. Yeah. And they're not thinking about things like culture, innovation, uh, the people, the way we're organized, or even even the operations. You know, a lot of times organizations just sort of gloss over the operational piece and defer too much to the technology. So I think he's got a very refreshing view of how to reprioritize digital transformations. Yeah, it's it's incredibly holistic and showcases the business as a unit as opposed to different segments or silos within the business that might be responsible or have that handoff to say, you know, you handle it, CIO, and the rest of us aren't incredibly involved. I think his, his openness to understanding that it's a complete cultural shift and organizational design shift as opposed to just a new technical tool. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's clearly in, a, in an industry like he's in that's being disrupted and changing quite dramatically over the years. Uh, you could argue it's even more important in a company like that. But I think, you know, most industries are being disrupted by technology, by outside forces, by strategic forces. There's just a whole host of things that are causing organizations to need to be more nimble and more agile and more flexible and responsive to the changing world around them. And so it's refreshing to hear how he's tackled that problem and opportunity. 
Yeah, I was waiting for you to ask him about the intellectual property and the AI music um, as well oh. to see kind of what his his take was on you know that overall policy shift. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot I didn't get into. I I wanted to ask him a lot more about music yeah. and the music industry mm -hmm. in general, just because it's so fascinating to me personally. Mm -hmm. But uh, I decided to keep it try to keep it on track with the the transformation angle. But you're right, there's a lot. We might have to have him on the show just to talk about all kinds of random music industry type stuff like yeah. like AI. Yeah, definitely. We got some great questions too from the audience and. And um, if you would pop in the chat, because I'm really interested to hear what um, the answer is, w what's your favorite vinyl record? And we can go into a Beatles versus Elvis debate as we, you know, have sparked the internet on that. But I'm interested to hear from the audience of what is your favorite vinyl record? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that too. I know I asked him what his favorite records were and he he sort of covered a lot of ground in his descriptions, but I was trying to think like, you know, I don't know if it has to be vinyl necessarily or, or record. I still think of them as albums. You know, I still buy albums or download whole albums. I usually don't just get songs, but uh, yeah, there's a, I'd be curious to hear from the audience what, what your favorites are. Uh, one of my favorites is third stage, you know, the, the album third stage by Boston. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not my top 10, but it is one of my favorites um, for sure. Um, so I'd be curious to hear though, what the audience thinks. I was trying to think like I've got hanging on my wall here. You can't see it because it's off on the side, but I have Hysteria by Def Leppard is framed on my picture. That's one of my favorite albums. And then, of course, Third Stage, which is also behind me. Um, and then a, a band called Hold Steady, which is a, a current band. I like a lot of classic rock, but of all the current bands, there's a band called The Hold Steady that's my favorite um, band and has been for the last 20 years uh, here in the 2000s. So those are a few of mine, if anyone cares. Um, and I'd love to, hear, oh, yeah. love to hear what the audience thinks, too. What, what's your favorite record? If you had to pick one growing up or even now, what, what, what yeah. would you pick, Kyler? I don't know. I mean, I grew up in such rural country, um, you know, so always country music was kind of what our culture was back then. And I have to be honest, I've never even held an actual record before. I've never seen one. Oh. I wouldn't know how to use a record player. So that's something that that's I feel like I was just thinking if any of you are watching on our video, I was scribbling down some notes that we should get a record player for our offices um, and, you know, be able to kind of bring in our favorite albums or records or teach me how to use it. <laughs> that's a great idea and a great point. I didn't even think of that, but I wonder if there's other people listening, watching right now that don't know how to use a record player that never have. If you're one of those people drop in the chat, I'd love to know Have you ever, well, maybe one extreme or the other. Have you ever, have you never used a record player or not even know, you know, how to use it? Or on the other extreme, do you still collect vinyl like I do? I still, I still collect them. I have a lot of vinyl that I haven't even opened just because I like the idea of having a new, freshly pressed record that's never been played. And then I have other records that I actually just listen to because I like the sound of them. And I think it, I'm a purist. And I believe, as I mentioned in the interview with Drake, I think records sound way better than digital media ever ever i don't i don't want to say ever could because someday they might match it but they just have not matched it yet never even come close in my opinion so it's very convenient though but I'd be curious to see what the audience thinks though definitely something that ai can't copy as he said it's um an art yes exactly yeah well good well that was a great conversation we'll have to have him back on the show too uh at some point in the future he's a, he's a great guest and very interesting perspective that that he takes on especially as a ceo you know he's he's got a different mindset than most ceos um for sure. So um, look forward to seeing how that company evolves over time. And uh, speaking of technology and changes to technology, um, you had a chance to 
do a little test run of ChatGPT in a software selection project or a mock software selection project. And you're going to share us that clip here in just a minute. But uh, And I'm going to ask you a couple questions before we set up the clip. But first, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and I'll ask you the questions. We'll play the clip of you and your little experiment that you did on the, on the selection process. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man after 17 years, that's what he goes there for. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Thank you for being here today. Um, so Kyler, you recently did a little experiment. Why don't you tell us about this experiment you did involving ChatGPT? Yeah, well, like all organizations, our team on the marketing and content development side have been testing ChatGPT to see how it could create some efficiencies. And it's kind of interesting, our brand, the quality and the purity of our content is part of the third stage DNA. So it's a very slippery slope when it comes to what are you actually talking about and creating value for our important audience and community members like everyone that's joining us um, here. So what I thought I would do is actually go through a software selection with ChatGPT and I picked a specific industry, um, which is healthcare. And then I um, asked our expert to see if ChatGPT was right. So I asked ChatGPT, what are the five top ERP systems in healthcare? And it spit out a list of top five. And so I thought I would just give Greg a call and we would have a conversation about what ChatGPT said and what was actually in an expert's um, experience correct. So I kind of rectified that um, those two different conflicting pieces of information often. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you filmed this whole thing. So you recorded this. Uh... We filmed it. Yeah, we did. Right. At first, my first approach was just to send it to him because obviously he is a very busy person. Um, and when I sent it to him, uh, he was like, this is all wrong. So I said, well, we got it. We got it on talk about it for ground control and for our, our content and for our community to let people know, you know, that there is, there's always a catch when it comes to that automation software. And it's only as clean as the data that's put into it, which can also have biases. Um, and we see that a lot with, with these different AI platforms is whoever's creating the content or creating the code, they have a human bias. Um, so we wanted to kind of test the bias of chat GPT. Yeah, that's super interesting. And uh, you just reminded me of an article I just read over the weekend, uh, this last weekend. It's in Harvard Business Review, and it's an article about three different tiers of uh, analytics 
and how the human interaction with analytics works best. You know, you have everything from like just basic business intelligence and reporting to predictive analytics to full on artificial intelligence. And it talks about different scenarios and how the human interaction needs to evolve or change depending on what kind of data you're dealing with. So it sounds like uh, that might be an interesting article to augment this uh, experiment that you did with Greg, but let's, let's roll the clip of you guys doing this experiment and we'll come back and unpack it here in just a moment. So here's Kyler and Greg uh, running through a ChatGPT software selection process for, it was a healthcare, uh, uh, in the healthcare industry, correct? Yes. But same idea. I mean, the insert industry vertical here, you could do the same process for whatever vertical you're in, but we're going to do a little case study here involving the healthcare industry. So let's roll the clip and we'll come back to it. So Greg, like I said, we had done an experiment with ChatGPT and talking about that and integrating it into our tech enterprise stack, like a lot of other tech companies are going through or companies in general. So what we did with our experiment was we looked at the top systems, the top ERP systems in a specific industry, and we chose healthcare. And since you are an expert in healthcare technology, I want to tell you what ChatGBT said and then see if you, if it's actually wrong or right. So kind of oh, a fun Oh, very exciting. Experience. So we're going to have a uh, yes or no question and answer ChatGBT <laughs> chat. I like yes. it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, the the systems that they outlined um so they said first about epic so let's start there so sure. epic is a leading healthcare provider of healthcare software solutions including electronic health records ehr and erp systems epic's erp system called the quote financial management module provides features such as revenue cycle management financial right. reporting and supply chain management Correct. The um, um, and uh, Epic is also a um, electronic medical records provider. They are not well known for their financial and supply chain ERP systems. Mm -hmm. So they are they are really just getting into that, and they are getting into uh, CRM as well. Uh, both of these areas are really more focused on the clinical side of the business. So okay. the patient facing side of the business. Um, revenue cycle, for instance, is all about patient revenue and the running of the, the hospital system. So where we come into play generally is on the uh, ERP side of things. So mm -hmm. on the enterprise resource planning side, if you will, uh, there are a few main players. So Epic and Cerner are the two primary providers of electronic health records. Uh, Meditech, also in kind of a lower tier, also provides that functionality. They also provide a lot more of the um, traditional ERP finance and supply chain pieces in the Meditech solution. Um, most healthcare providers and when we say providers, we mean hospitals, uh, mm -hmm. operate with a clinical system or the EHR system, Epic, mm -hmm. Cerner, Meditech, as well as an ERP system. Generally, the, uh, the, the large top tier systems in that category are Infor, Oracle, and Workday. Um, traditionally, Infor 
really owned about 70% of the marketplace for finance, supply chain, um, human capital management, payroll, uh, the traditional ERP functions. They also broaden their portfolio so that they offer a num number of interoperability components. Mm -hmm. uh, Cloverleaf is what they call their interoperability solution. Uh, workforce management and some of the edge solutions around um, core ERP for healthcare. Um, likewise, Oracle has been moving up in the marketplace very mm -hmm. rapidly with a similar portfolio of um, ERP functions that interoperate and inter interact with Cerner, which they acquired about a year ago. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so uh, Workday is the uh, is the latest up and comer in the healthcare marketplace, making great strides in terms of even class recognition of performance of an ERP. I think they were number one in class or best mm -hmm. in class last year, and they have been. Um, taking a lot of the market share from Infor, which was traditionally the, the lion's share of ERP systems in, in healthcare, dating back over 20 years. So um, those three at the very yeah. top echelon are, are really competing for the ERP space. That's really interesting. And as I mentioned, kind of our GPT top five list, we have Cerner on there. We have Infor Healthcare on there. We also have SAP for healthcare. Is that a, a leading solution or would you push back on that to um, recommend something else in its place? I'd push back on that simply because SAP has made a couple of uh, forays into the healthcare space on the ERP side and not been very successful in breaking into that marketplace. They do a lot of work with biopharma, um, mm -hmm. biomedical engineering, medical manufacturing, uh, absolutely, but not in the provider or the hospital space. Um, they, have, they have not been a, a major force. Interesting. And then when we, we look at specific, you had mentioned there's almost two different areas, the EHR management and the ERP side management as well. Are those two separate evaluations or do you typically do that as one evaluation for the overall holistic organization? Generally, that's a great question. Generally, two separate evaluations. However, in terms of the entire overarching program, or the direction for a hospital. Mergers, acquisitions, um, which happen quite commonly, affiliations with other hospitals. There are generally multiple systems that are being brought into one parent entity. When that happens, very often the decision about which EHR system to go with and which ERP system to go with really have to be connected. You really have right. to determine how everything is going to come together in a unified system. That sounds like a, an extremely complex project. So it is, kind it of, is extremely complex. And I, I would just tell you that generally yeah. those two decisions and even it can even be broken down further. Mm -hmm. So you can have a clinical decision about which direction you're going to go. Although most of those decisions have been made, Epic, Cerner or Meditech. 
Um, and then the ERP decision is very often finance and supply chain. And HCM as a separate okay. kind of two categories of, of evaluation. Um, most healthcare systems are moving toward a unified system. In other words, one ERP for the entire system. But many are now working through a uh, more of a best of breed uh -huh. alternative, which would include separate HCM and finance and supply chain. For instance, Workday for HCM, Infor for finance and supply chain. Interesting. And and when you look at that overall evaluation and the specific needs of this industry, this healthcare is one of those industries that we cover a lot here at Third Stage because they've gone through such an incredible technical um, technical transformation, not only on the actual application side, but on the business side, how they see patients, how they interact um, with customers, the importance of data warehousing, all of those different things. Can you talk about a few key trends and requirements that you've seen from our healthcare community and network when it comes to digital transformations they've experienced over the last, say, five years? Absolutely. So a lot of the ERP systems that I mentioned in fact, um, Infor is a great example. They've moved to Cloud Suite, which is their multi-tenant cloud environment that um, or platform that has been uh, developed over the last 10 years and now is completely cloud-based. Um, the move from traditional Lawson or the older Infor applications to Cloud Suite is a major undertaking. In fact, it's really um, tantamount to uh, to a, a new implementation. And so many of that 70% uh, of the marketplace that was was Infor originally, because Infor was the first ones to come out with really specific for healthcare enterprise resource planning solutions. <clears throat> the uh, The move to evaluate whether we upgrade, migrate, implement the new Infor solution or move to Oracle or Workday has become a, uh, a decision that um, most, most healthcare providers are having to make because mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a, uh, a major undertaking and it's probably not going to be done again for the next 20 years, right? Hopefully. Wow. So um, right now there is a, a real state of flux in the healthcare marketplace, um, in the healthcare community, because everyone's trying to decide exactly how do I get on a unified system hmm. and which direction do I go? So making that selection of the software solution that's right for a given provider is a, a major undertaking. Okay, we're here walking through a ChatGPT experiment to see if we can use ChatGPT to help us through a software selection process. We're not quite done with that process yet. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. 
The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and we're in the midst of uh, playing you a clip of a ChatGPT experiment where we're trying to use ChatGPT or AI to help us select software in a mock software evaluation, a mock software selection process. So let's jump back into the conversation. I want to dig into that undertaking just a little bit more, but before we kind of move on to that phase, you talk a lot about your, in your thought leadership specifically about phase zero planning and the importance of that. And because of your extensive experience in healthcare, what is kind of the level of prioritization that should be phase zero before you even go into the selection, the implementation planning, those types of, of different initiatives? I think, I think it's paramount. Um, Many of the healthcare organizations that initially went from a uh, an older ERP system to Infor, Cloud Suite, Oracle, Cloud, Workday, um, initially didn't take the uh, the time and get the understanding of the organization and the readiness of that organization from both a technical, functional, and process standpoint to move to a cloud-based software system and therefore they uh, they had mixed results on it very early on um it's it's absolutely critical that you take the time to understand what the objectives are for the organization um really what you want to have as an end state as well as what is the return that we're going to have in terms of being able to improve the quality of care improve the quality of the financial information and um, uh, information that you're receiving from disparate sources within the, uh, uh, let me start over again. Okay. Um, it's just vitally important that a phase zero is undertaken as a preparation for the beginning of the implementation of the chosen software system. And um, many successful hospital organizations are doing that right now. Well, definitely. And I, I think that piece is extremely critical. Um, and I know we have a few resources on our website talking about phase zero checklists that we can link below in this conversation as well, just yeah. to ensure that you are um, you know, prepped and ready for that. So in going into the supporting partners, we talked a little bit about this top software. We learned that you cannot trust ChatGPT for your software evaluation. <laughs> you do need that expertise. It does not know everything, folks. But um, also, I, I want to talk about the different specialized technical partners that you need in a digital transformation within a healthcare industry. Can you kind of outline that that core external team that you'd be looking at uh, when you put together your overall support network? Yeah, um, I can tell you that you need someone who is independent and agnostic 
in terms of deciding which direction is right for your healthcare organization and moving to a new ERP or digital operations. Um, the, um, uh, the other thing that you need to look at is, is certainly data architects in terms of being able to determine exactly how things should fit together, especially how they should interoperate. Interoperation or interoperability within healthcare is, is critical between that clinical system that we okay. described and the ERP system. So how all the pieces fit together needs to be done by somebody who truly understands the overarching architecture of the solution set that you're looking at. Um, you also have to be very concerned with change for the organization. So organizational change management and expertise in that area, uh, along with training, um, is something that you need to establish up front and even before you decide on the exact ERP software solution. So selection and strategy for the organization moving into that phase zero that we discussed, hmm. preparation of the organization, and then moving into implementation of the chosen solution going forward, all needs to be managed by a team of, of experts. And very often within hospitals, there are program management offices that are well established and can handle some of that, but really an outside team that does this all of the time as an advisory group is, is really the, the, uh, the way to go for most healthcare organizations. And that is that has become a um, a standard in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, that that project management, PMO, oversight, governance, um, all of that different support structures, really, that insurance policy we call it, right, for a failed transformation. And I know you've seen failed transformations, and when you say failed, that doesn't always mean a bad thing, right? That means that the transformation is trying to move forward, but it hit some sort of block or it's become um, not as valuable to the overall organization as it should be. So when that happens, how can you take a project specifically in a very complex industry like healthcare and kind of write the track? Because I know that's a lot of times when we get the call third stage is when they're going, their project is in the red or it's going towards a failure or they have experienced multiple failures. So how do you bring a project in a complex industry like healthcare back to green or back to more of a healthy um, overall strategic approach? Well, Kyler, um, very often what happens is people that are participating in the projects that are a major undertaking for any hospital also have other priorities, right? Mm -hmm. um, they have their day jobs. Um, they're being pulled into things like responding to a pandemic. Um, if it's not set up right from the very beginning, again, that phase zero and preparation of the organization to move forward, then very often we find that people just don't have the correct time to participate. Um, they don't understand that the project is going to be a full-time endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, it may not be a choice. They're trying to deal with continuing care for patients and at the same time managing their part in a project going forward. Um, also, the systems integrators or the uh, the implementation team very often is 
is not completely in sync with mm. everything that is going on in the organization. Um, and therefore, as as they get moving along, they stall. Um, we see projects all of the mm -hmm. time that end up going for much longer than was expected from the very beginning. And therefore, over budget, over time, people lose focus on what they're needing to be doing as part of the team. Um, one of the things that we very often get called in to repair is, I'll call it backfilling of some of the resources that it really should have been decided up front exactly how you're going to staff for the project. Mm -hmm. And to your point, a lot of the projects that that turn southward, <laughs> for lack of a better term, is because they weren't staffed appropriately, mm -hmm. either on the systems integrator side or on the uh, the project team side for the for the uh, for the hospital or both. And that's where we go in establish a strong PMO or program management office, bring together the right people and the backfill resources that can provide those subject matter experts, especially on the on the hospital side, the time that is necessary to work on the project, focus on getting it done and uh, get through the uh, the uh, the final stages of a successful go live. And then also beginning to plan for post go live support mm -hmm. at the same time that you are attempting to go live is is also very important mm -hmm. so uh so we help with that as as we're going forward yeah, you took the question right out of my mouth because I can only imagine when you are in not only a very complex organization, but also critically data important, right? We're talking about life-saving measures that these people yeah. need to have those those pieces of information. So how do you reach that third stage? How do you ensure that your, your technology is appropriately used and leveraged by your overall employee and patient community in an organization that touches so many different entities? Well, it, it, uh, it really goes back to that uh, very beginning, phase zero. If, uh, if an organization hasn't gone through the preparation of determining exactly where their critical data sources are, how they can come together, how they can interoperate with the clinical systems that are in the, the hospital. Um, understanding of expected mergers, acquisitions, affiliations that are coming down the pike, um, then it, it just really doesn't get to that third stage of fulfillment of the, uh, you know, the, the planning that is put in place and the return on investment that is expected in this new system. Automation of process and and really just bringing together insightful reporting from across the entire organization in real time is something that has to be planned out from the from the from the get go. And that's what some people fail to do. And um, that's where often these these are considered failures, to your point. Uh, you may have functional software, you may have, you know, functional process automation, but it doesn't all come together in in one uh, continuous pattern that needs to be set up from the very beginning. 
That's very well said. Very well said. And I almost don't want to ask my final question because that was such, <laughs> that was so well packaged. Because I go too and, long? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because that was just so, so well packaged. But um, if I were a healthcare executive or an, responsible for going through a digital transformation as a decision maker, what would be your number one piece of advice as an independent and technology agnostic consultant, which really, again, has no financial relationships with software, but does have a relationship with helping our clients reach strategic goals within the project, what would be your number one piece of advice? Uh, I would say that you need to be very introspective. You need to put together the governance prior to jumping into any project of this size. So establishing the uh, the internal um, sponsorship for this magnitude of a project, and then embarking on you know a thoughtful uh, strategy decision about which direction you're going to go, and working with a partner like Third Stage, frankly, mm -hmm. to make sure that that checklist. Um, for the uh, for the phase zero and preparation of the organization is completely figured out before you embark on that entire journey, and yeah. I, I think that's the way of of truly achieving that third stage. All right, super interesting stuff, interesting uh, example or case study or a mock software selection. We've got a lot to unpack from that conversation, but first we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned, though. We're going to unpack that and dive into the the findings from that uh, ChatGPT experiment here in just a moment. First, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 123, where you can find new episodes of this digital transformation podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So, Kyler, this uh, really interesting experiment you just did, or that you you didn't just do it, but you played, we just played you the clip of you and Greg Benton from our team uh, going through the ChatGPT software selection process. What were some of your... Uh, Sort of your takeaways or your lessons learned from that mock software selection process? Yeah, well, I mean, I think just holistically, the thesis of that conversation was to showcase the importance of really having that expert opinion that's not only an expert in the software, like our vendors are, but also implementing the software. 
Um, healthcare is an obviously an incredibly complex industry, as are many industries, um, especially ones like healthcare that have gone through a significant transformation within the last three years after the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we saw a lot of need for new technology in the healthcare field. And I always wondered, to be totally honest with you, why Greg always talked about interoperability. I remember when he first joined the team, I was like, I hope no one ever asked me to say that word on a podcast because it took me like three weeks to even like practicing <laughs> the word. But now I see because his background is in healthcare, the importance of those integration and, and connections through those those different pieces. So that you know was a main theme of this conversation. But Really, what I did is I typed in the top five. I'd give um, ChatGPT that prompt. And a couple of them were on the list, but a couple of them, like he, like we talked about SAP and healthcare, he said no. He would not at all recommend SAP and healthcare. Um, specifically, there's not even a really great solution for that. Uh, so that was on number three on our list, and that would be something that he truly would not ever recommend to an organization unless it was a very specific or unique instance in which um, that was a, a main consideration. And he also brought up um, the mergers and acquisitions piece of specifically healthcare, and we see this in other industries as well. Um, understanding what you're bringing together is going to be that main phase zero planning. And ChatGPT obviously can't, <laughs> doesn't have the ability to take into account those considerations. So it was a really fun experiment and conversation, both on the healthcare side and learning more about the industry and the needs of that industry, but also on just testing can. AI functions give us those recommendations. And sometimes they do pop out, uh, you know, good content, but it always needs to be evaluated by, you know, a human expert in that area in order to be correct. Yeah, you're right. And it's so far, we haven't seen evidence that AI will be able to completely replace human in intuition and instinct and some of those things. You can replicate fact finding and consolidation of mass amounts of data, predictable data, but it, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't fill the void completely of what humans can do. And especially if you think about like organizations always trying to, they're always trying to improve, they're trying to evolve, they're trying to be better than other competitors or other organizations, especially in the, the for-profit space. Um, so it's hard to see anytime in the near future, AI completely replacing that human need. Now, I, I think it is just giving us another tool set that makes us more powerful and more knowledgeable as humans. Um, so it's not, in my opinion, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a purely an efficiency gain. It's it's definitely not. I mean, there are efficiency gains to be had from AI and open AI and ChatGPT, but I think the bigger play right now, anyway, at least the way the state of technology is today, is to really augment and provide better tools and better insights and visibility and knowledge um, than we have in the past. Yeah, it almost reminds me, it's a, so cyclical life when, you know, when the internet became a thing and all of a sudden everyone believed what was on the internet and you had to go through this completely societal coaching of you can't believe everything that you read on the internet. Now that's a known behavior, right? When you Google something or you like self-diagnose yourself that you're dying from WebMD, you know, the, those things <laughs> right. always... Um, 
come with a, a an air of skepticism. And I think that's what we need to move to this tool is it's a great tool in creating efficiencies or templates or those types of things. But when it comes to a strategic business decision, it is not something that you want to leverage, especially something as delicate as software. Because say I was a CIO at a, you know, a major healthcare organization and I asked ChatGPT those questions and got these top five lists and went to the vendors. And that's really kind of the dangerous thing from them because the vendor's job is to sell you their software. So likely right. when you call up SAP, they're not gonna be like, oh no, we're terrible at healthcare. Goodbye, you should call someone else, right? So then right. you're in a situation where it might not be a great match because you didn't have that independent or technology agnostic opinion because chat GPT is not independent and not technology agnostic. It's, it's scraping the internet for things that it finds and you know, reorganizing that uh, and regurgitating it. So it's definitely a consideration for sure. Yeah, yeah. The internet is flawed. The information on the internet is flawed, and therefore, ChatGPT and OpenAI, by definition, are also going to be flawed to some degree. So you're still going to have to take it all with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good well, stuff. it was it was a fun. Um, yeah, it was a fun conversation. And if anyone in the audience. Um, has some other examples of chat GPT prompts that you found to be flawed. As Eric said, we'd love to hear about kind of your experience there and see what we can collectively educate the um, digital community. Yeah. And, or where, where have you found chat GPT to be the most helpful? Like what are some examples of how you've used it in your day-to-day -day lives? One, one thing I think I've talked about in this episode or this podcast recently is that I've started using it recently just to name some of my YouTube videos. And it's been super helpful because it just gives me different ideas. And I end up mixing and matching some of the responses I get from it. Again, back to the point earlier about how I'm still using my brain. I'm still picking and choosing pieces of what ChatGPT is feeding to me. And I'm sort of adding my own flavor to it or whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's not really an efficiency thing. It's just making me, I think, better at what I'm doing. So it hasn't saved me really any time. Um, it's, but it's made me better, in my opinion, in naming some of these videos and making it uh, seem more appealing, you know, in, so in that regard. So that's just one tiny example. I'm sure there's others that the audience might have as well. So very good stuff. Well, good. Well, thank you for another great episode, Kyler. And to the audience here, thanks for your engagement and questions and participation along the way. Uh, again, just as a reminder, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday. Um, on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So be sure to check us out there and subscribe to the show. And if you're listening on an audio podcast platform too, if you wouldn't mind just leaving us a review, we'd love to see uh, what kind of feedback you have for us. And of course, on the uh, video platforms as well, we'd love to see your comments and, and feedback on the show as well. So we're always trying to improve and make this more and more appealing to more people. So thank you for being part of the digital transformation community here globally. So I hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Take care. All right. Thank you, Drank. Woo. Should probably get his name right. Drank. <laughs> Drank. Drank. I'm already, already in vacation mode. There you go.